The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. starts right now live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Check out shares of Lyft in reverse today. The hot IPO looking not so hot during its second day of trade. We'll tell you what's gone wrong with the ride-sharing company's public debut. Plus, stocks surging today, adding to double-digit gains for the year. But the chartmaster says a number of names have come too far too fast. He will explain. And we start right there with the market rally. The Dow rallying 300 points to kick off the second quarter, now above 26,000, back within striking distance of all-time highs. And it was the financials leading the way. The group on fire, the best-performing sector today, up nearly 2.5%, climbing out of correction territory. Check out some of these moves over the past week. Citigroup, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, and Goldman Sachs, all staging rallies. So... Will it be the financials that lead us to new highs? And should you buy these stocks that have largely been left behind? Guy. You a Doors fan? No, you're not. That was the Doors. Light my fire. This is the Just Doors. Kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This Great. is the Doors. Trade it. Go ahead. So, I don't, listen, financials? I, I don't think the financials will lead us higher. Tim correctly said last week that the bond rally was probably getting ahead of itself, and he anticipated a sell-off. I'm not certain he anticipated it today, but that's what you got. And I think the knee-jerk was that people bought banks... And again, with the back of the China data, which was surprisingly good. That said, in my opinion, not a lot has changed for the landscape of a lot of these banks. I'm just hard-pressed to understand how they make the money they need to make and how they get the earnings power they need to make in this environment. So, in my opinion, this is a rally that I would fade. What was behind this then? I think it was all China PMI. Uh-huh. People were waiting on China. People were waiting on global growth. We had with the financials, we had an inverted yield curve. We had lack of global growth. We had lack of growth. So the, everyone sold them. So I think it was a more of a positioning trade versus an actual tailwind for financials. Well, we had great China news, but we also had good U.S. economic news. We had an ISM that was <laughs> above 55 or so, better than what we were expecting. So if you say the two largest global economies are actually doing okay, then that should be good for the yield curve, which steepened, which should be good for the banks. So I don't think the banks necessarily have to lead us higher, but based on looking at all the sectors, if you're playing the yield curve trade, even a three-month, ten-month, which we were all concerned about last week, is now back. It's uh, it's steep again. It's above zero. Hmm. To me, that looks like and I don't think the Fed's going to let the yield curve be flat for a long period of time, so I think the financials are great here. So less inverted is the new new steep end. Less inverted is, well, it's it's above zero. That's basically what it is. Treasury bonds, we had record net long of two-year Treasury futures, okay? I mean, what does this tell you? The bond market got so far ahead of itself um, that between, and we know the reasons why, but we remind them because you had Stephen Moore, a new Fed appointee who seems to be running amok. You had Larry Kudlow representing the, the, essentially the, the administration saying they're pushing, they're trying to push uh, the Fed in, in the next move. You had dynamics where global growth numbers were terrible. And, and the bond market totally overshot this. So Steve pointed out there was data in China uh, last night. But, I mean, since when have we really believed the data in China to be the point. But I, think, but I think it's more of a computer. I agree with you, but I think it's more of a algorithmic base where you see a PMI that improves in China and everyone was worried about them not improving. But how about the equally as bad European PMI? 
So they, they were at six-year lows in European PMI. So we're choosing to pay attention to what we want and ignore but, what but else that's, the I mean, the, the I Europe is a bit, of a bit of the tail. And the U.S. and China, I mean, China is Europe's biggest customer. So if China's doing well, then Europe should improve as well. So I think for the time being, you can ignore that data. Also, the European data has been horrible for a long well, time. Why are we still seeing the European data? So if that's the point, though, I, I, I get your premise. But if we're, if we're still seeing that, we haven't seen it troughed. You would expect them both to start moving moving in tandem. And future forecasts or future, future, uh, uh, pr- um, future activity looks like it's still negative in Europe as well. But think about what happened last week, guys. And we started talking about the banks. The banks were destroyed. The banks were, were assumed to be heading into uh, bearing the brunt of the recession that I, I don't think we're going to have. So um, you talked about that ISM number. I think it was significantly better. If you look at, at a number of the things that are working and, the, and they continue to work, it's actually ultra, ultra cyclical stuff. Look, the DAX is about to break above the 200. Uh, the emerging market are about to break out of that range. And maybe I've said that a few times because that range has been here four or five times in the last six weeks. But all of these cyclical semis, transports, I think the transports are the most interesting. Are Uh, you saying that you're expecting some sort of a an upswing here? We have it. I mean, how can you deny it? We have an upswing. We have right. an upswing. And if you look at the technicals, and, and you know, Carter will be on in a second, but the S&P's at a golden cross. You've had every every chance you've had to sell this thing has, has, has failed. And in fact, the technicals right now, the transports held the 200-week moving average last week. I talked to you about the S&P here. And the cyclical stuff, the stuff that's not supposed I mean, to be excited right now, is growing. Let's remember, we started the month of March pricing in a recession, mm. pricing right. in a Fed rate cut. It's been so, one month later and all of a sudden we're here at an inflection point to the upside yes i mean well that's well that's but that's the data is telling you that china has stimulated their economy that data is telling you that u.s pmi much or ism much better than expected turning higher now the last one i mean you can wait for europe if you want to but the market has already priced in recession even just the slightest hint of some improvement, you're going to get a day like you got today. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, banks, I think we all agree, though, that banks have been in a range, basically, though, in a range trending lower, today notwithstanding. So, and I think they will continue that. But I think if you're looking for places that may have turned, and I think we've talked about this over the last couple weeks, maybe early, maybe not, but material stocks, to me, could be very interesting, especially if the China data is going to improve, and especially if things here are improving. Now, we can argue whether or not the Fed's doing the right thing. I don't think that's pertinent to this conversation. But what is, is the fact that China seems to be trending right the right way once again, which means material stocks should do better. So then what is the sort of well, the, the deep play here? It is to invest in Europe well, and I, the I, things that will benefit from the sort of the ancillary of China and U.S.? turning higher? As much as I think it's dangerous to get too obsessed with China data and, and the, the local Chinese markets, uh, again, I do think that the Shanghai uh, market breaking through 3,200 is a sign for global risk assets, period. And I think we're at a place here where we're seeing uh, it's been uncomfortable for a lot of people because this has not been the trade. And I think that's part of why we're doing it. So uh, I don't think anything's really changed. I think if you look at where equities are and you look at some of these groups we just talked about, we've basically worked off the post-Fed reaction, the reaction that actually, oh, my goodness, the Fed is telling us we're going way down lower right. in rates, et cetera. And the, look at that. We've, we've recovered pretty much everything. So are you more bullish compared to when you were here on the show No, I, it, here's No, here's the problem. You, I'm not more bullish, but the market action has made me wrong in this last leg higher that we've seen. I've, I, so I, do you stick to I being continuously, wrong? Well, I think you have or, to. You can't move. I, I don't believe in going from ultra bearish to ultra bullish. I think that you have to wait. I've been waiting for earnings 
and guidance. I want to wait for those two things to happen first before we believe that the worst is priced in. Okay, so you're in, in Steve Grasso's dilemma, let's say. I am. You see, the, you see the data going a certain way, your beliefs... That would be a great movie, by the way. Grasso's Dilemma. Or a TV Grasso's show. Actually, that, would be, great, that TV would be a great one. Fantastic. I don't know who would watch it, but it sounds oh, on paper yeah. like a good... No, but to be fair, this is a dilemma <laughs> that a lot of people out there are in, where you believe a certain you know, direction for the markets, but the data is coming in against you. Right. The action's coming well, in against you. I mean, so what's w- coming what in point? against you is the re- a lot of the rhetoric's coming in against you. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, this market turned on a dime when our Federal Reserve went from a posture that I thought was correct to a c- completely different posture. And it changed up basically on or about Christmas Eve. And it's been full system go ever since. And then with Mr. Kudlow on Friday making the comments that he's made, just putting gas on the fire. But if the data is improving, again, my, my, I guess the point that we've all tried to make in different ways is if the data is improving, if this is the greatest economy in the history of our republic, then why do we need a 50 basis point cut? What do they see that we the don't. rest of us don't? We, we don't. don't. But, but right. the, the, the feeling I had after we got those comments from, from Powell uh, 10 days ago or so was that, wow, global central banks are very, very dovish. In fact, they've, they've stepped back into the dove pool with two feet. And here we are saying we're going to grow at two to two and a half percent GDP in the second quarter, which I think we will. Um, and therefore, what do you have? You have an environment where if yields go lower, it makes the, the equity story that much more incredible. Now, I, I don't think we're going to you know, test 2% on the 10-year, but I think we're range-bound here. And as I said, I think Treasuries were way overbought. We were at 234. We trade back up to 250 very quickly. But that's an environment for risk, isn't right. it? Right. I mean, right. it, it is. So, so regardless of what you think a 50 basis point cut may signal and, or telegraph about the economy, it is a risk on it's right. a risk on whether you like it or not. Entire, no, like from it or not. 2009, the entire rally has been based on loose monetary policy. It will end, and we've seen the market react. It will end when the Fed and everybody else starts pulling back on that monetary policy. But if they're going to be loose, whether you like it or not, and I hate every bit of it, but you know what? If they're going to be loose and I got a slightly improving economy, you have to be long risk. I'll add in there, look at what copper did today. Really strong debt, really strong move in copper. That's a cyclical move. That would also argue for a little bit higher 10-year rates, which, again, going back to the banks, you probably get a steeper yield curve over the next 90 to 180 days. All right. Well, our next guest says stocks are heading higher. They're heading for new highs, in fact. She says things look so good out there. Even her own price target might be too low. Let's bring in Lori Calvacina, the head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC. Lori, welcome back. Good to see you. It may be too low. Well, we have... (laughs) Well, we have 29.50 as our year-end target, and uh-huh. we ran seven different scenarios. Um, this is the second highest one, our 29.50. We did say, you know, one scenario we could envision of getting the S&P north of 3,000 is if you just see the same kind of rebound this year that you saw in 2010, 2011, 2015, 2016 off those lows. Then the average rally was about 29%. If we get that off December 24th, it could take you a little north of 3,000. That's not our base case, but that's the upside we could What is the see. catalyst or what are the catalysts for that sort of rebound in this environment? So I think that we're, you have to go back to December 24th and exactly what was priced in. We think the market came very close to pricing in a recession. And we think that you're basically living through that rough patch now that we already paid the price for. So we think we're in recovery mode. I do think, though, the rally is dependent upon seeing the economic data get better in 2Q. We've got to see signs of further stabilization relatively soon. So, Lori, we've seen the laggard in financials, which actually is up 8% year-to-date in the form of the XLF. But do you go for the laggards or do you go for the things that have performed 
So I wouldn't be chasing technology here. I think that the TIMT space, it's led this year. It's very overvalued, certain areas like software and services, which are kind of, you know, the defensive parts of tech, the secular growers, so to speak. Um, I wouldn't touch them right now. They're crowded. They're overvalued. I think you've got a lot of deep valuation within financials and banks specifically. They're very uh, closely correlated with the ISM in terms of how they trade. So if you buy the rebound thesis, they should work just as well as the semis already have. Um, and I also think you've got external catalysts coming to financials. They're going to start leading soon on the buyback initiative. Um, dividends are strong there. We're starting to see flows trend in favor of value. And we've also opened the door to M&A. I think there's a lot of exciting stuff happening there. Laurie, Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley talks about an earnings recession. I think he reiterated that today. What derails sort of this 2953,000 thesis. So we've got we've got basically 171 as our earnings number for this year and a 17.3 times multiple. That's similar expansion to what you saw in 2006-2007. Um, you know, I can't really get on board with the earnings recession thesis here. We did some stress tests on our models and if you have a mild recession, I could see earnings going to 160. But if you just have sluggish growth, I think you'll still get a couple bucks of earnings growth this year. So I, I just don't see it. Lori, how are you assessing the treasury market in the midst of all this? Obviously, equities uh, valuations are a function of a discount rate, et cetera. So there's something very real here. But we've also just seen these, these overshoots. And I know you also talked about extreme yep. bullishness at one point in one of your notes. Um, how, how did Treasury figure into your, your whole assessment? You know, we, we keep an eye on it, but I focus mostly on the equity market call at this point in time. You know, I think the yield curve, it is a problem, even with our financials call. And we acknowledge that. But I think there's a legitimate debate out there about whether or not the tenure and the yield curve itself are really reflecting what's going on with the economy. I'm not quite convinced either way to be honest, and that's not really what's driving the mm -hmm. financial call. Um, you know, I would say what I'm a little more focused on right now for risk signals is actually the CFTC data on equity market futures positioning. And what's interesting there is you can see seeds of a melt-up starting. So we saw it if we looked at the data in March. You saw S&P futures really just kind of turned slightly parabolic in mid-March. Went back to October levels. Didn't quite go to back to last January's levels. We haven't seen the same follow-through on other contracts like the Dow, the Russell futures, um, the NASDAQ futures. They're all still very low. But we do need to watch that. I mean, I think we got two great sell signals last year from that data. We're not seeing it yet. We do need to keep an eye on it. Lori, what about, you mentioned this kind of melt up, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of like 1998. It kind of feels like that yeah. to me. But we have an, a, a presidential election coming up. Yeah. How does that figure into the equity? It seems like everybody would want the market higher for the election. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, we actually, when we go through our six drivers of market performance, we say the one negative driver we see, the one big headwind for the S&P directionally is policy, which is our code word for Washington. Um, you know, that had previously been a concern about the trade war. We're getting close to the finish line there. The 2020 elections are a risk factor. I mean, we actually went through and polled our analysts recently, and we said, look at the industry you cover. If the Democrats were to take over Washington, you know, when all three have the triumvirate, um, would that be a risk to your industry, yes or no? And about a third of them said yes. I mean, that's, that's pretty material, and it was across multiple sectors. Wow. So, Lori, let's say we got a 50 basis point cut. Would that be a positive or a negative for equities? You know, I think we'd have to see what the backdrop was. But my concern about a big cut is that we'd probably have to materially downgrade our earnings growth forecast. I think the Fed only does a cut that big if you actually are in sort of a borderline recessionary type environment. I don't think they're going to do it if the economy is doing fine. So, you know, maybe markets aren't going to be down materially from where we are. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you can sit here and say there's not going to be some sort of adverse impact on earnings numbers. So you'd have to adjust for that. Lori, thanks a lot for coming by. Lori Calvacino from me. RBC.
What do you think, Rosso? So, I, you know, for me, I would love to chase a lagger and I'd love to buy the uh, healthcare ETF, but I just can't get around it due, due to that last policy risk. So you have Democrats and Republicans that are your headwind there. But if you want an underperformer, XLV, see if it can perform. I still think banks are going to sort of be meandering in this range to slightly low over the course of the next couple of months. But I do think material stocks might have some tailwinds for the first time in a long time. These steel stocks have had a pretty decent couple of days, and I think the rally will continue. All right. Um, we've got a news alert here on Brexit, uh, and we're watching the pound fall right now. This after UK lawmakers rejected all four proposed Brexit alternatives. All four of them have been rejected at this point. So how big of a risk is uh Brexit. We haven't even mentioned Brexit yeah, we, yet. Th- th- I think that's your answer right there. I mean, at this point, it doesn't seem to be a major risk to this market. It's, it's a risk to Britain, certainly. Um, it's a risk if the pound keeps falling and the dollar keeps rising. But in terms of these kind of short-term type of things, I don't think it has much effect on U.S. equities. You wonder, though, I mean, if you're an investor in British equities, in U.K. equities, right? I mean, a lot of them are exporters. So would this actually be a good thing for well, them? So, and, and also, if you look at the FTSE, FTSE trade it about 14 and a half times forward earnings, which is cheap to itself. It's got almost a 4% dividend yield. And, and I actually think that the FTSE is worth owning here. So um, how can you not have priced in whatever it is that we are expecting? And I think uh, as much as I don't think the U.K. politicians know what to expect at this point. Um, the pound is about 4% higher against the dollar year to date. This is an environment where they've been walking around in circles, and, and I think it's probably fair value. Real quickly, I mean, the Eurozone, when the collective 17 or 18, whatever the number is, nations, I mean, it's a, the biggest GDP in the planet, bigger than the United States, and a more population in the United States. So to think this isn't, it's, it's meaningful that Europe, well, Brexit, obviously, but Europe specifically, I mean, there are a lot of negative things going on. And again, 24% of sovereign bonds, negative yields. You can't discount that. And Germany, although turning fifth largest economy, still seems to be in trouble. So I don't know how that doesn't manifest itself here at some point. You know, last week or two weeks ago, we were looking at Brexit resolving or hopefully the issue of Brexit resolving. And that was going to be an uptick for the markets because we couldn't get a China trade deal. And now we flipped on it and said, okay, no one cares about Brexit to the extent that the overall market here, the macro market cares because we have China. I do believe that both of these things are headwinds equally as big headwinds. I'm still concerned with European growth or lack thereof. Coming up, stocks surging to kick off the year with the uh, S&P 500 up 14% so far. But the chart master says there are a number of stocks that have come too far too fast. He'll be here to give us the names. And check out shares of Lyft closing at the lows of the session for the second day in a row. So what is wrong with this new IPO? The traders will weigh in. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for our Buzzkill. Investors hitting the brakes on Lyft, the stock in reverse. How many more puns can we spit in here? Closing on session lows for the second day in a row, dropping well below its IPO price. List performance could also be a bad omen for the next set of big tech names to go public this year, like Uber, Slack, and Pinterest. So Lyft was supposed to be the next hot IPO. What went wrong, Steve? 
I think this is more positioning as, as far as the timing of the IPO. You it mean was like quarter end, month end? Now they can get it off. So you the had, book. A, you had a, exactly. You had a lot of guys playing around with it, but I do believe people are going to want the calendar for the rest of the IPO market. So you, you, I don't think it'll affect that per se. Well, I mean, the good thing could be that maybe the other IPOs would be more rationally priced. I- It'd be more rationally priced, but I mean, the next one we have coming up that's comparable to this, obviously, is Uber. It has a little bit of a different story. It's got to international growth. It's got Uber Eats. So I think there's enough differentiation among the uh, IPOs coming out that this selling off is probably not going to be a big deal. I mean, you had just a bit of euphoria over this uh, last week. I mean, people were talking about the end of driving as we know it, which I happen to believe, but it's not going to happen over the weekend. It's going to take some time. But you already knew that growth was slowing. Going, but, We already knew that growth was slowing. And WeWork, that's coming out at the tail end of the IPO market, lost $723 million in the first half of 2018. I don't think growth at Lyft is slowing. I think growth at Lyft is actually increasing. And I, I think the losses are increasing with their, their revenue growth and their market share growth, but they're now 40% where they were 20 a couple of years ago. So um, I think, Mel, you hit it right on the... I mean, there's a price for everything. So how they price this thing, the, the, you know, the, 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 the syndicate was very aggressive. And, and we had an analyst on the day before who said her, her target was 84 bucks. We got up to 87. Um, and the stocks pulled back 20%. So um, good for the company. And I guess you, you try to get as much as you can, but also part of what you try to do is leave a little bit of meat left on the bone. So um, I think there is a valuation for everything. I don't think this is a disaster. I think transportation as a service is what people want to own. It's the only name out there right now. I think this thing has a bid. Yeah, but the IPO itself, I mean, what does it mean for the retail investor when they see, you know, stock prices at 72, trades up to 86, and then two, effectively two days later, it's trading below the IPO price of 69. They say to themselves, can't, this game, I hate using the term because I don't believe that it is. But I don't is, think they got in this deal, say, right? I, I don't right, know. Yeah, they probably side. didn't. Yeah. It was probably, but, you know, people do watch these things and they say, look at this. For, so I don't know what it, if it changes the psyche, if they, if they sour on the market. You know, Jim Cramer talked about this being great for the marketplace and in retail investors. Everybody was talking about it. Now everybody's maybe talking about it for the wrong right. reasons. It's good for the retail investor if there's a perception that they could make money off of this. But here's a question. At 69 bucks. Would you is rather? Now? Oh. No, not even would you rather. <laughs> would you now? I want to see this thing trade for a couple more days, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this is uh, a, a company that you're, you didn't expect them to be profitable here. You weren't talking about the gross margins, and, and I think at these levels, it starts to get interesting. Yeah. I think you have an opportunity. I settled on Friday. I still think you have an opportunity before Q1 earnings, before May 15th, to buy the stock. It might take a couple days to kind of get this indigestion out of its system. But once you get these flippers out, I think you're going to have a shot. You have a, ha- you have a handful more of these IPOs. People want to make room for them. They all want a piece of them. You have to decide which ones you're going to want to hold. I think where you started out, I think they're going to want to hold Uber over Lyft. So I just wait until the smoke clears just a bit longer. You know, an IPO like this, you got to wonder, guys trading like this on the second day of trading do you even buy it before the lockup expiration i, I don't see and there's to me there's no compelling reason to jump into this in my opinion to jump into it right now despite the fact that i was an employee for a day and i did yeoman's work you wore those gloves which was and a nice did you have the pink mustache did or not no? although it was in the it was in the it was in my car oh it was you're right. supposed to put it in the window you still have it on there <laughs> Back to the question. No, I wouldn't. I think you can wait. I mean, I absolutely think you can wait. There were, I think BK said report earnings May 14th. May 15th, 14th, something no like that. No reason to do anything until, you, until on or about that date. All right. For more on Lyft and what's next for the stock, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. I was way too fast. 
getting pretty furious. Wait, a little bit too furious. As markets surge to record highs, the chartmaster says a number of stocks have rallied too fast and too furious. He'll explain what in the charts has him pressing the sell button. Plus. You're listening to MC Musk. That's right, Tesla CEO Elon Musk dropping a beat over the weekend. And it could be a good sign for Tesla shareholders. We've got those details. There's much more Fast Money right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. The bulls charging into the second quarter, extending the S&P's double-digit gains this year. For more on the markets and which names have been leading the charge, let's get to Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. The S&P just finished its best quarter since 2009. Not bad. You know, it, it's rare when you get large cap stocks, mid cap stocks, small cap stocks. Look at this. All up double digits. All up the same. The gains are broad-based, though technology stocks were the biggest gainers, up 21%. Industrials, which, remember, were dramatically oversold at the end of the fourth quarter on global growth concerns, they snapped back as well. They're up 19%. And energy stocks also were strong as oil rallied from $42 at the end of December to nearly 60%. That's almost a 50% gain. Not surprisingly, some of those most oversold stocks at the end of the fourth quarter They've been the market leaders. This always happens. The energy names like Hess, guess what? They're up 50% as oil rebounded. Others like Celgene, well, they jumped on the merger news. Remember that was that Bristol-Myers story a little while ago? Chipotle, Cody, chipmaker Xilinx, they were much higher on strong earnings and guidance. Overall, though, 90% of the S&P 500 was up in the first quarter. That's also a rarity. For the second quarter, it's all about the economic data. Just look what happened today. Global markets rallied because the China manufacturing data was much better than expected, and it played perfectly with the bull narrative that China's economic weakness will bottom soon. Now, and we had better than expected ISM manufacturing numbers and construction spending numbers. They came out 10 a.m. Eastern time. The market took another lift to the upside, and particularly bond yields moved up. Banks moved up as well. The calendar is a big help for the bulls. April is the best month for the Dow Industrials. It's been up 13 straight years in April. And the third best month for the S&P 500 after December and November. The calendar smiles on us. Melissa, back to you. All right, we'll see if it holds true this time. Bob, thank you. Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange. 
Who believes in the calendar still? I do. You do? Yeah, I do. I mean, maybe this is my emerging market background, but typically what we've seen is the best time to buy equities has been kind of early March through to the end of April, and then you get into the sell and may go away. Um, Some of this is really uh, the seasonal side of of just investing out of the year in allocations. Some of this truly has been you've seen a lot of the volatility over the summer. It's been a place to stay away. I just think that we're front-loaded. As much as the calendar is important and you have to pay attention to it, the seasonality is very important. But a lot of this has been front-loaded. We've seen such an aggressive bounce off that December low that it's hard to imagine what goes into the calculus and what's not in, what's in, and what's still seasonally adjusted. But I think it's more of positioning Mm -hmm. for a lot of these accounts going forward. Bob had mentioned a few stocks that had led the charge in the first quarter. I don't know if you were... I, pay, I listen to every Hess to up 50%. Right. And I hear every, Cody, I pay every attention. I like locked in. Anyone what strikes, that you would what still sticks buy. out to you? Boeing. Did he mention Boeing? Probably yeah. not, but he mentioned industrials. And that means you weren't listening. You just thrown something in. Is this the no, door? I was start? listening. I was absolutely listening. I'm, I'm adding another name to the list. Hey. And if you look at the, the hey. amount of volume Boeing traded during the trough of that news cycle, it was ridiculous. Boeing doesn't trade like that. And I think, and we said it a sort of two or three weeks ago, there's a very good chance it'll come back month, month and a half, and Boeing will be right back to 430. Well, it's gotten 20 of those dollars back. All right. Our next guest says it is time to take profits in some of the big winners this year, but there is still one name looking like a buy. Carter uh, Worth, the chart master, is over at the Plasma to break it down. Well, hey, Carter. Not- There's more than one to buy and there's more than two to sell, but I've got three names for you. But first, let's talk about the market a little bit. We just heard, obviously, from Bob Bassani, it was the best quarter, Q1, um, since um, 09. Well, the preceding quarter, of course, was the worst quarter since 08. You get a big ricochet after a plunge. We heard that 90% of all stocks were up in Q1. 98% of all stocks were down in Q4. So we have this V, and that's the issue. Is the V enduring or is it not? But what we know it's done is basically return us to the level where the market is stalled out before. Right? So the actual equal weight S&P, as opposed to the actual, the equal weight couldn't even make the high. The S&P made a slight new high. And as I would draw the lines, I think basically we have been in the process of topping for the better part of 14 months. This reading right here, right, that's January of uh, 2018, that was the highest weekly RSI ever recorded on the S&P, including 1929, 1987, 2000. And we've really never progressed since then. Most sectors have yet to go back above that high, and most global bourses, with the exception of uh, the Bavespa. So my own hunch is, right, is that, that we've had a nice rally, it's all very impressive, but that we have the risk of this kind of thing coming. Um, and that it's not just this great off-to-the-races kind of thing. And even were that to happen, I suspect it would be yet another trap and that we would really have the ultimate in a topping-out formation. Equities have been topping, the data's been topping, and uh, bond yields tell us this. Anyway, let's pick some stocks. Here we go. So, two that are a little hot, a little overdone. American Tower, Chipotle versus the S&P. One month, you can see the spread. Three months, you can see the spread and six months. I mean, these are gargantuan winners. American Tower is a very important stock. We'll look at that at the end. But first, look at a basket of these two names. This would be the two combined $100 billion in market cap. And what essentially we have here is something that's basically off the chain. Yes, a 50, 60% move as an aggregate. Now, look at the individual stocks. It's really the same circumstance. Here's American Tower. Uh, REITs are so important, of course, that we have a GIC sector now. This is the biggest REIT in the world. It has towers all over the world. We all use it when we use our cell phones. Almost $90 billion in market cap. And my thinking is, you take some profits here. Guess what? 
was down today. Not many stocks were down today. That tells you no incremental buyers. Well, here's another one. Chipotle, not as important, of course, but still 20 billion. It was also down today. Just a little too hot. And the thinking here is take some profits, a little too steep. By comparison, consider a stock like this, which has made no progress in a long time, but is setting up so well. Um, Charters like to draw lines. We can draw them one way, like that, head and shoulders bottom. The implication is a breakout. You could draw them like this, a cup and handle. The implication is a breakout. You could draw them like this, well-defined wedge, just taking out the highs, breakout. Or you could just say, hey, look, it is a breakout. It's already taken out the highs. There's always something to buy. There's always something to tell. Things that are too steep, I would take profits. Things that have made no progress in six months, put some money to work. All right, Carter, why don't you come on over to the desk? Evan will bring the chair over. It's the fake music because we're not allowed to play. Um, there it is. You know, there's no, you're supposed to leave things for people like a greeting. <laughs> Welcome. All right. So, so Carter, I'm curious, in, in terms of the chart, uh, the, the Norfolk Southern chart, I would think that that chart looks like a lot of different charts in the markets where the stock hasn't done too, too much. It had sort of that big bottom in the month of December, and it's back to levels that it had been at the fall. Well, so how does that just To some extent. So there, there are a lot of stocks that have made new highs, certain tech names, right? We know REITs are all making highs, utilities making new highs, um, certain consumer discretionary names, and a lot of names are nowhere near their highs, most industrials. Most financials and so forth. NSC, CSX, actually UNP, the whole group, uh, the thing that appeals to me is how well they act, because truckers, not good. Airlines, not good. The big package haulers, FedEx and UPS, not good. And yet rails, because they're defensive. They're the defensive element within the transport sector. The people are hiding there, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. People hide in very defensive names. Microsoft is defensive. Visa is defensive. In fact, if you were to just look at the V that is the market, right, where we were in Q3, the plunge, and where we are now, so that six-month period, let's just say we're back to where we started. Guess what's led in that six months? Number one, utilities, REITs, staples, and tech. That's all defensive stuff. That's the story of the market. The ricochet is impressive, but all we've done is return to where we were. Now the market has to prove itself. So wait, wait a second, Carter. So you're telling me that Norfolk Southern, all the rails are ripping. That's defensive. Today we saw airlines, we saw truckers, we saw the rest of the, the transports do well. And your other chart, AMT, which was bought because it was the biggest part of the REIT index right. for yield, reversed. To me, I look at that market and say, everything that's happened, all that defensive movement has changed today. Well, that's the actually exact reverse of what I was just saying. Meaning, if you were to look at the six-month period, the things that have led, utilities, staples, telco, reasons, and so forth, on any given risk day, you can look at your your charting services. It's always industrials, financials, materials on top, energy, and then it flips and it goes utilities, staples. So it's risk on risk off every given day. But what we know is one day doesn't change anything. The, the key to rails is they are actually defensive. They are monopolies, essentially, or duopolies, whatever you want to um, And uh, I like them, but it's not quite the bullish thing that I think it would suggest. To so, me. Carter, if earnings do disappoint, and if, if they're well, not already the, factored in, and if guidance is where, you see, the problem is we're so aggressively tilted towards the consensus angle that it's going to be terrible on both the EPS front and the guidance front. If they do fail to the, to the point where they surprise the market, where can the S&P go in your mind? Where are the check back levels? Are you thinking about... Well, you and I have talked about 2,600, yeah. and, I, and I think that's as good a reference point as any, meaning we're right back at the highs, and while individual securities have made new highs, some like AMT much too, too hot, uh, the broad thrust is that global equities, we, it's not my stat, it is the stat. They peaked in January of 2018, 
There are no bourses essentially that are higher than that level except for one or two. And the, it's a prove it now, right? Because what happened was we dropped more than 20% from an all-time high that has only happened 11 times in the history of equity markets for the S&P. And yes, we've recovered, but now just getting back to where you were, now it's proof. Carter, good to see you. Thank, Thank you. you. Carter Braxenworth with the beard still. I thought he'd get good. rid of it over the weekend. But, uh, I'm happy he didn't. He's like a young usually, Glenn Campbell. I'm not usually a big fan, but I'm right. still a cowboy. It's nice. He's a handsome um, man. How, how do you reconcile the technicals or what, char- what Carter Charter has laid out versus what you, what you view in well, the markets? So he's talking about the S&P, and, and, and clearly the defensive elements are hard to deny what's been working. But then you also have the stuff that really was kind of bombed out and is now or started to pick up some life. So I still think that uh, materials, industrials, uh, the rest of the world, it's hard to argue that that stuff, which was really badly beaten, down um, hasn't been leading a bit, and I think th- that's encouraging to me. I would stay in that trade. All right, still ahead, casinos hitting the jackpot today on the back of better than expected numbers out of Macau. We'll tell you how to trade these soaring stocks, and from gambling to gaming, Activision Blizzard named a top pick at Wedbush, and the, with the stock lagging the market the entire year, is now the perfect time to play catch up. Find out when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Activision Blizzard heating up in today's trade as Wedbush adds the company to its best ideas list, pointing to significant outperformance and outsized growth ahead. That's our call of the day. But shares of the gaming company have cooled off recently as the stock is down more than 40% since its highs hit back in October. The gamer stocks have been mixed this year, with Electronic Arts up 30%, Activision Blizzard flat, Take-Two Interactive down 7%. So is Electronic Arts emerging as the winner off its Apex Legend success, or should you buy Activision to catch this rally? Tim. Well, I, I think you, sh- you should buy Activision. I think you should buy Activision based upon the fact that really relative performance, it's totally underperformed uh, on valuation. Look, the Call of Duty uh, release has been kind of, eh, hasn't done so great. We've been waiting for China to pick up. Diablo is actually something people are more excited about. Um, the valuation, to me, makes a lot of sense. So EA has started to rally back. Look, they all got destroyed, but people have understood at some point it really is a valuation story. If you give these guys three bucks in earnings, this is, you know, a $60 stock, uh, in my opinion, uh, net cash. $60 makes sense because it went basically from, I think, an all-time high of 82 or so down 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 to about $40. I mean, and that did it over about a two-month period of time. So to get to 60 gets you basically a 50% retracement of that move. And on valuation, you can make a pretty compelling argument. So I agree with Tim on this. I think you can buy all of them. Let's think about Google and Apple, what we've heard in the last week or so. I think they're going to be hunting for developers. They're going to be hunting for more content. I think this is a huge tailwind for all three of these companies. I believe you can buy the laggards and the outperformers. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give you a, an unconventional pick on no. this one. Why don't we go with Disney on this? ESPN, you know they're going to be a, a big part of the esports and e-gaming uh, business by broadcasting all of these. So I think that's probably you the better You a gamer, play. BK? Am I a gamer? Yeah. Well, I mean, I play Pong pretty well. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like if you had an avatar, would it have a plaid tie? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't have an avatar. What does that mean? That's like that movie, The Avatar, right? With like all a, the blue you know, people? Yeah. Sure. Yes, it's exactly that. They're making I have a, a digital twin. Do you, you do? really? Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah, you have a digital twin. That, to me, is the bigger play here. The digital twin. You get your Nike sneakers that are digital. You get a, you know, maybe a cardigan or something that's digital. What was your thing with with Tupac where it wasn't real? Yeah. Um, what was that? Yeah, it was a... Hal- a, a hologram. 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 I'd, yeah. like to have a t- I'd like to be alive and have a hologram. I don't know. Who? Who did you me. talk about before? Coming Tupac. up. Coming up. Google it. 
Wind shares soaring today on the back of Macau gaming numbers. One trader says the rally is just getting started. We'll break it down. Plus, Musk, the music mogul. Yes, music mogul. The Tesla CEO dropping a song on Twitter yesterday, calling it his finest work yet. But is this joke just another distraction for Elon and Tesla? The traders will weigh in when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The casino soaring today, cashing in on better-than-expected gambling revenue from Macau in March. Now, option traders are placing some bets of their own, and the space could be about to hit it big. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with all the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we did see about two times the average daily options volume in both Las Vegas Sands and Wynn today on the heels of those numbers that we saw coming out of Macau. A lot of those activities that we saw were also bullish. One of the ones that I'm looking at first is uh, in uh, when we were taking a look at when the weekly 130 calls by 11 o'clock this morning, about 2,000 of those had traded for about 75 cents. Now, the stock did trade higher throughout the day, so those actually closed around a dollar and a half. But when you consider that it's very close to that $130 strike price now, anybody who's inclined to follow along with that activity is actually getting, in many respects, a better deal if you buy those calls betting on the stock going higher. And then also taking a look at Las Vegas Sands, there were longer dated bets there, but betting on probably an 8 to 10% upside move by the end of April. Now, Bear in mind that these companies are also going to be reporting earnings. And in the case of when they're going to be reporting uh, the 23rd or 24th of April, which is after April regular way expiration. But if you look at the May calls, those also look reasonably priced if you're inclined to make bullish bets here. Tim, where do you stand on these Macau numbers? I'll tell you what, I think Macau is, is getting better, and I think it's been slowly building. What I like about these numbers is they, they haven't just, you know, V-shaped overnight. It's been kind of a beatdown over the last... 12 months or so, the trade war has certainly not helped. I think these, look, if you believe the trade war is done, if you believe emerging is, is moving, if you believe Shanghai is moving, you want to own the casinos. When, to me, is starting to see free cash flow by next year. I like this name here. This time last year, gaming revenue, I think, was probably up 21% year over year. This year, it's basically flat, but the rate of change is getting better. I mean, this last month's numbers weren't as bad as the market was looking for. And remember, this time last year, this was basically a $200 or so stock. So, Although you saw that dip from 129 to 115, which I didn't see coming, I still think there's upside in the stock as well. I mean, if you believe China's improving. That's the point, right? I mean, if you believe China's improving, then Macau should do much better. And encouragingly, the stocks are responding to it. You look at the way that Wynn traded today, fantastic. So I do think you have a trade here. All right. For more options action, check out the full show. Mike, thanks, by the way. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. Full show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead. MC Musk, the Tesla CEO, releasing a rap song on Twitter over the weekend as investors await the company's first quarter delivery numbers. Is this joke just another Musk distraction? Plus, check out our Kramer camp. Tonight, Jim is breaking down the companies that could benefit the most from the IPO rush. That is at the top of the hour. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. you, right? I mean, uh, this tune you hear is called R.I.P. Harambe. It was dropped by the CEO of Tesla, Elon Musk, over the weekend. It is in tribute to a gorilla who was killed three years ago and became an internet sensation. Now, to be fair, it is April Fool's Day. Let's not forget that one year ago, he joked about Tesla going bankrupt or bankrupt, as he tweeted. Not that funny in the first place, but then Tesla spent the rest of the year fighting off delivery worries and erratic tweeting from Musk, not to mention Musk admitted in November the company actually almost went bankrupt because of the Model 3. But Musk and Tesla isn't the only company trying to get in on the fun dating app Tinder, advertising a height verification feature so your date doesn't, well, fall short of expectations. 
For the even lonelier souls out oh. there, Google introduced Google Tulip, a feature that lets you talk to your beloved plant. Tulip, obviously. McDonald's also stirring the pot by introducing milkshake-flavored dipping sauces called Shake Sauce that had Twitter up in arms. So should publicly traded companies try to get a laugh like this in the first place? Is April Fool's fair game? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I, to me, in Elon's case, it doesn't surprise me. And sometimes we don't even know if it's real or not. So I, I'll leave that one alone. But, you know, when he tweets that he's going bankrupt, maybe that was foreboding. But, you know, when I, when I think about McDonald's with the funny sauces or um, if people are going to trade on this news, and in fact, the company is actually giving what seems like disclosure on something, um, I don't think it's great. Um, and in fact, you know, I ultimately think that it's a dangerous place to be putting out false information, even if it's a ha-ha funny uh, How is funny this any how? different, though, than a Super Bowl ad? Like, I'm trying to get my head around it. When you're, you're trying to have that but an ad's memorable, an ad. but you're trying to... There's so, no such thing as shake But it's sauce. the same thing. So everything that they do with theirs, I, I get it. But we're talking about should they do it or shouldn't they? I don't think that they should, but I think they're trying to be sort of the it company. So I think it's sort of the same for me as a Super Bowl ad. But I don't think that they should do it when it comes to April Fool's. You know, I'm sure Elon Musk thinks he's amusing, and maybe he is amusing. But I don't think the environment that we find ourselves in, especially given his past and what's been going on, he should be playing these games. He's walking a fine line, and I don't think he should be doing Personally, I don't think he should be doing it. I mean, I'm sure it's just ha-ha funny out there, wherever they are out there in Palo Alto or whatever. But I don't find it particularly ha-ha well, funny I, here in Times Square. I mean, it's April Fool's. Like, why? I mean, come on, let's lighten up, Francis. It's April Fool's. <laughs> we all know that these are jokes. Like, it's okay to laugh every once in a while. Maybe he shouldn't have done the bankrupt thing. That was probably not the, the funniest joke out there. But it's April Fool's. It's okay for companies to poke a little fun at themselves and everybody else. By the way, Mel, 50 bucks if you can name who said lighten up, Francis. You know I can't do that. Uh, that would be none other than Sergeant Hulka. Sergeant Hulka, he's a big, big tell. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we have an April Fool's I have no idea what that's from either. We have an April so. Fool's joke <laughs> on this great desk. Yeah. Look at the BK and Tim. I don't know How if we can split screen those joke. ties. Yeah. But I'm God, dead I serious mean, when I put this on this morning. Brutally. I'm sure you were. Yeah. Up next, final trade. <laughs> Time for the final trade. Tim. Yeah, we talked about the gamers. We talked about casinos. ATVI. I like this valuation, and I do think we've got some momentum. We started the show with a better economy, better China. Why not Freeport Mac, FCX, copper and gold? I'm going to stay in the gaming theme. Take two interactive. Bye. Were you surprised that Duke went down this yesterday there, Mel? So surprised. Shocked, yeah. right? Shocking. Shocking. Totally shocked. Yeah. Harvard wasn't even in. They beat Georgetown. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> You have a Marathon final trade? Oil. Jeez, <laughs> it up. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Meantime. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.